Hello and welcome to Win the Middle. We're about to dive into a conversation that may very well redefine the way you see your next decade. In every stage of life, we encounter changes, challenges and opportunities for growth. But when it comes to midlife, why does it always seem to come with a crisis? And more importantly, how can we make these middle years our best years? My name is Jeff and my co-host Greg and I have come together around a shared passion for personal growth, training and triathlon. Jeff is the Head of Employee Experience and Capability at Macquarie Bank. And Greg is the CEO and co-founder of Education Disruptor Creatable. We're here to pull the curtain back and reveal that midlife isn't an end or a crisis, but a thrilling new chapter, ripe with opportunities for transformation and discovery. So buckle up. It's time to welcome the experience, the wisdom, and the potential of your middle years. Let's win the middle. We're finally getting into this uh, topic that we've um, been trying to do for a few weeks now, and I'm just going to set it up. Uh, I actually did a little known fact. Uh, I did a, a master's in organizational leadership. Yeah, right. Uh, one of the books that we studied uh, was called Integrity by Dr. Henry Cloud. Uh, and in this book, he says that whenever any of us move through an organization, we leave a wake behind us, just like a boat leaves a wake kind of off to the right and to the left. We leave a task wake behind us and a relational wake. The task wake is what did I accomplish while I was there? What did I do or what did I get done? And the relational wake is how did I make people feel? And people are generally good at one or the other, like we're predisposed towards leaving a strong relational wake or a strong task wake behind us. But we have to intentionally work at cultivating the one that we're not naturally oriented towards. Uh, So for me personally, I'm naturally oriented towards leaving a strong task wake behind me. And as a leader, I've had to work really hard at developing my ability to leave a healthy relational wake uh, and focus on how I'm making people feel or what is it like to be on the other side of me. Um, But we've been doing a lot of heavy lifting in the last however many episodes we've done on the podcast on the relational side. And so this episode uh, is going to lean into uh, how do we leave a strong task wake behind us, a.k.a. getting stuff done. So before we jump into the topic, did you want to quickly recap on some homework? Uh, You, last episode, we challenged you around working on some self-compassion and self-care. Have you given that any further reflection? I have. So purely coincidence, but I took a week of leave this week. So 
that was good because it gave myself more time to practice those things. And interestingly enough, I do think as the week has played out and I've thought about it, that the self-care practices have been really important. Uh, and so, yeah, I've just been trying to make sure I, I, I do all those practices that we listed out last episode. Um, and they have made more of the difference than necessarily paying attention to my thoughts and um, thinking about the way I'm talking to myself. Um, albeit I have tried to bring out um, um, fun guy a bit more this week. So, you know, I went for a surf this morning instead of going to the pool for a swim because uh, that's what fun guy would do and it was fun. Bit of swell running today. Um I think the other thing that I stumbled upon this week was it's been in my backlog for a little while, but I have a mate, Dan um, Diver, um, who sent me a podcast by Jordan Peterson a little while back. And something that really came out of that was just the power of the mind and how important is the way that we look at things. And so when we're in a challenging situation, if we view ourselves in that situation um, as being in that situation involuntarily, that catalyzes a stress response in your body, which leads to fight, flight, um, freeze kind of things and inflammation in your body. Whereas if we see ourselves in that challenging situation voluntarily, it catalyzes a challenger response and so everything that happens in your mind and your body is completely different. It's far more positive and it's inquisitive and playful. And I thought, wow, that's really interesting because I can see a lot of my challenges, I could approach it from either angle. I see it as involuntary or I see it as voluntary. But a much healthier way of approaching that is from a, a voluntary angle um, and and being in that challenger position. So that was a really interesting podcast to listen to this week. I'll, I'll flick it over for you if you're keen to have a listen. Um, but that's something heading into next week. I just want to see myself as in the various challenges of life, uh, approaching it from a voluntary perspective and bringing that inquisitive challenger mentality to it. I think that was a really helpful notion for me to think about and, and and they kind of take it to a very extreme end in this podcast talking about illness and chronic illness and how important um, mindset is in, in incoming, overcoming chronic illness, including things like cancers where um, the absence of inflammation in the body, which would come from stress responses, can have a very um, significant effect um, on illnesses like cancer. So, yeah, that, that was an interesting thing I came across this week. Um, your homework was a little closer to home with the kids. Tell us about that. Yeah, so I defined compassion for myself last week as strength, warmth, and non-judgment. And you challenged me to chat to my kids about that and see which one of those three things they most appreciated uh in me and i did that and my inclinations were confirmed uh there was a resounding uh backing 
uh, of non-judgment as mm. the, the, the key thing that they appreciated the most. Uh, and I suspected that was true because I would say that's also true for me. And I think it's one of the reasons why I've gotten so much value out of seeing a psychologist because in, um, in a professional um, sort of therapeutic capacity, they are essentially environments of non-judgment, right? Mm. Um, and so mm. it, it can be immensely helpful. Um, it's pretty hard to be vulnerable uh, unless there is an environment of non-judgment. Um, so, yeah, it was just interesting to reflect on that um, and it made me want to cultivate it more and more in my life uh, just towards others. That's cool. And particularly the age your kids are coming into too, hey, like you, you want them to just come to dad with anything, whatever's troubling them, and they, they're going to be more likely to come to you if they feel like they're not going to get judged. So that's awesome. I love that. Well done. Yeah. Thanks, man. You might, I've got a 13-year-old now and she's talks to me super openly now about boys and, 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 and all this sort of stuff. And it's awesome like it's great that she feels like she can um she can talk to me openly and honestly about what's going on because she knows that i won't judge her and i think uh that is winning the middle as a parent of teenagers at least absolutely any uh any updates on uh shred timber Ooh, fun guy doesn't allow um, weigh-ins when on holidays so calories don't count on holidays um, so no no update from me but I am I've been wanting to know your mates that that did the shred chamber challenge yeah he texted to- me the other he texted me the other day so he lost five and a half kilos in in shred timber uh, wow which was awesome that's so good yeah and so uh, I've had someone else uh, ask me about Shredtober. Mm. I guess you could kind of make any month. Some of them don't really work though, like Shred Shredprul doesn't really have a good ring to it. No, it doesn't. Or, or shra- Shrach. <laughs> <laughs> uh, nah. Nah. So, and it's probably not healthy to keep a, a shred going all year round. It sort of defeats the point. Um, yeah. But uh, we're still in spring. Spring is a time of, of clean eating uh, and pruning and, 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 and cleaning house. And so mm. it still is the season for this type of thing. If anyone out there... Uh, is procrastinating and, and, and has some goals in this area and wants to do something, we're only six days in to shred Toba. There is still plenty of time to um, to do something. Well, actually, November is another shred timber, isn't it? So, and it's shred still spring, so I'm in. If someone wants to message me and needs an accountability partner, I'm in. You could do it. You could do a, a lead into Christmas. Yeah, a little shred for summer. What did you say? Anyone anyone up for eight in eight? Eight in eight. 
It's Come a challenge. In the DMs. I'm not. <laughs> All right. So now. getting, <laughs> yeah, getting, <laughs> getting stuff done. Let's let's jump into this. Um, you had a you had a good question to to kick us off. Did I? Yeah. What was it? Who is the most <laughs> productive person that you know? And what are your uh, observations of them? That is a good question. You've obviously thought about it and I obviously haven't. <laughs> well, well, I'm asking you, who's the most productive person you know and what are your observations of them? Well, this doesn't seem very humble at all, but I thought I do quite often get people saying, how do you fit it all in? Like even the podcast, how do you have a podcast? Like you got three kids under six, busy job, You've got a time-consuming hobby, um, being triathlon. Um, how do you fit it all in? So I do feel like I am somewhat qualified to talk about this topic today. I'm not sure I necessarily think I'm the best at it and definitely don't feel like I nail it, but I do feel like a, a productive person. And going back to your original, um, uh, your opening on the book, I think I'm curious to know if it can change over time because I, I felt like for the start of my career, I'm, I am a task-oriented person. When I come into the room, I'm looking for the jobs to be done rather than the way that I connect with people. And the the bulk of my career to date has been very much, um, you know, a, one that's been about getting stuff done. Uh, but as I've progressed through my career, it's definitely been about how I um, lead people and get things done through other people, and, and and I've had to work really hard on on that. But I'm yeah curious if it's kind of if it can change over time. Um, but yeah, I, I I don't have someone kind of coming to mind. But I, d I did think to myself, plenty of people ask me how I get stuff done, so maybe I maybe I can talk about this topic. Mm. What did you have? You're going to have a less um, well, that was, yeah, egotistical answer. No, dude, the funny thing was, was when I first reflected on this, who's the most productive person I know, I literally thought, I, I think I am. Like I, yeah. I had the same thing where I was like, but I can't <laughs> say that out loud on the podcast. Um, but I, I've learned over the years to, um, to, to really maximise uh, my time. Uh, and so, but I didn't want to say that. Um, and so I, I wanted to cheat and maybe reframe the question more towards work ethic, uh, which I would say is the ability to soldier on despite how we feel. And I would yeah. say growing up, I had a really great example of work ethic in my immediate family. So my mum and dad separated when I was 12. Um, my mum raised me and my sister all by herself. And she got herself through uni uh, as a mature age person, worked full time, paid all the bills, made sure my wow. sister and I did all of our activities. And keep in mind, I was a national level swimmer at the time. So I had, was doing 10 sessions a week at the pool, which she facilitated all by herself 
early morning starts, all of that, like incredible work ethic. Um, my uh, auntie Jo lived with us for a bit as well at the time. Another incredible example of, of someone with a super strong work ethic. And even my dad, I didn't see him that much, but he, he also had a, a really strong kind of work ethic. So I think I had some some pretty great examples in my upbringing of soldiering on despite how we feel and um, and sort of, you know, this idea of eating the frog or owning the mountain. Uh, and so that that's definitely influenced me for sure. Um, you, you had another question uh, connected to this, which was um, what's the difference between being busy and being mm. productive? Did mm. you have any thoughts on that? Uh, I was more interested in, I asked the question cause I was interested in your views on it, but yeah, of course there's a, there's a difference between busy and productive. And I think productive is, um, very deliberate. I think being busy can feel good, but not necessarily be pointing out the right things. Um, mm. so yeah, I do think there is a difference. Your view? Yeah, I, I don't love the phrase busy. I, I try and avoid it. Uh, everyone says they're busy. Yeah. Uh, it feels like a bit of a status thing or a throwaway line. Uh, I prefer to use the phrase full. Uh, so life feels full at the moment is probably yeah. what I'd say. Yeah, cool. Um, and that way the action in response to that is to create more margin through subtraction. Like I feel really powerless against the term busy, like I'm a victim of some of like yeah. external forces. Um, and so I don't love the word busy. Um, I, I would describe that feeling as, as, as life feels full. Um, and busy, I think, puts us in a headspace of, oh, if only I had more time. And the reality is we, we, we never have enough time. Like we'll never have the, the, the time that we want or need. And I think being productive at the end of the day is about putting more of yourself in the time that you have. Yeah, I love that because I would counsel people at work just as far as managing their profile and their personal brand you get these opportunities where you jump in a lift with someone super senior and they say, how are you going? Do not say I'm busy. Like have something better than that. Um, and, you know, so we'll get into some of the, the, the things that I do during the day that make sure I don't say I'm busy. But I love, I, I love even just saying I'm full because it kind of talks to capacity Um um, and it's a, it's a completely different conversation. I love that just even as a, a, a lead to have in your back pocket if nothing if you freeze and nothing comes to mind, I'm full. Uh, just leads to a totally different conversation. Mm. Well, even with your, say you're sitting with your manager and they're like, how, how are things going? And if you're like, oh, they're so busy, it's like how do we talk about that? Whereas if you're like, oh, work feels really full at the moment, then, yeah, it, it feels like it's just a, a platform to have a better conversation. Mm. Yeah, cool. Hmm. Have you got um, – what are some tips, Jeff, on on 
putting more of yourself in the time that you have. Uh, tips on being, I mean, as you pointed out, you are a extremely productive person, able to get a lot done in the limited time that you have. Have you got some tips? What do you do? Yeah, I do. I've got, I've got kind of uh, six written down. Um, how do you want to approach this? Do you want me to... Do you want to tic-tac on these? Oh, yeah, let's tic-tac one, one for one. One for one. My first one is plan to plan. Uh, so uh, to paraphrase Margaret Thatcher, who I imagine was a productive lady, uh, she said plan your work and work your plan. Uh, and so I review my plan at the close of each day and that has kind of a twofold um kind of action to it so it, it makes sure I'm on track so I, I'm kind of like going you know where's everything at um, what does my plan need to to be for tomorrow and it means that I can close off the day and go home and be present as husband and dad um, athlete whatever with a clear mind and start the next day with a clear purpose uh, and so that's got like this real strong crossover with um, Dr. Adam Fraser's The Third Space, um, which have you have you heard of The Third Space? Are you familiar no. with The Third Space? Enlighten, enlighten me. Oh, you're about to have your mind blown. Not my content. Go, uh, I'm ready. Dr. Adam Fraser, he studied high performance in um, athletes originally and he was observing that, you know, physically they look very similar and but there is, you know, something that must happen that separates um, the top people. And he, what he observed was that there's this thing that happens between events or between points. So a tennis player can play a point and then um, the space between that point and the next point is where all the magic happens. And he observed that three things happen. They've got an ability to reflect predominantly on what went well, uh, rest, and reset and so they can go again and he noticed that's what separated the top performers in a sporting sense from from average performers it's what what happens between um, points and he deems that the third space he then studied it in business and he saw the same thing and so he studied he saw this really high-powered executive who could go home and he could be super dad and he was like how do you do that and he's like, well, I didn't know, I wasn't always good at it. Um, in fact, I remember knocking on the door one time and my kids opened the door and they scurried around the corner because they were scared of dad. And he's like, that's wow. not good. Um, he was a, a man of resources. So what he did was he built a second entrance to his house and he'd go into the second entrance, he'd reflect on the day, um, kind of close off for the day, have a shower, get changed and go into the house ready to be fully present when he went into the house. And so that second entrance was like where he did his third space. And so it kind of doesn't matter if it's like point to point uh, in a sporting endeavor or it's maybe meeting to meeting at work or it could be going from work to home. There's always these opportunities to have these little third spaces where you reflect, rest and reset and approach the next um, event, um, giving your best. 
And so, yeah, that's um, my first my first one that I think is a, a really good strategy, uh, plan to plan. Wow, I love that. It makes me think of a childhood story, but I'm just going to maybe hold off on it because we'll go down a, a tangent that's, that's way too long. Um, but that was cool. Um, I think my productivity methodology or approach uh, has been very informed by another book that we studied during my master's called Getting Things Done by David Allen. Uh, It's a school of thought on task management that's been a massive game changer for me personally. Uh, and it's enabled me to function at a much higher capacity. Like I was rubbish at this uh, early on in my career. And uh, I'm very organized now. Um, and I would attribute a lot of that to, to this book. And my first uh, principle um, would be the brain is meant for having ideas, not holding them. And so if you think of a a big sort of giant circle uh, on a piece of paper, say I've just drawn a big circle on a piece of paper, and that's everything that you have to do right now, like home, work, personal, money, everything, stuff in the yard, like just it's all in there. All the stuff that's on your plate that you've got to do is, is reflected in this big giant circle. And then if I got out um, my pen and drew another much smaller circle inside the bigger circle, um, that's my brain and its capacity to remember what I've got to do. And so I can't rely on my brain to be the system that catches and remembers everything. It's not big enough. Um, and, And I end up using brain power on memory instead of um, creativity and, 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 and sort of g- generation. Uh, and so we need a different system other than our brains to catch everything that we need to do, process and organise it so that we can review it regularly uh, as priorities and deadlines kind of shift and change around us. Um, yep. And so, yeah, my biggest encouragement to anyone and everyone would be don't rely on your brain to remember stuff that you need to do. It creates unnecessary pressure and stress and things will 100% fall through the cracks. Mm. I love that and it feels so validating for someone who loves a to-do list. I think that's <laughs> why though because I, lo- I don't want it buzzing around in my brain thinking, oh, something's going to squeeze out like if as soon as i can get it out onto a piece of paper it's like awesome but um i think i'll build on that by saying my second one is categorize size and prioritize um so there's a stat that you'll double to triple the likelihood of completing something if you add a time frame to it um, so with my to-do list, I love a to-do list. Uh, I'll categorize it by urgency and importance. And then I'll add a time estimate to complete that task. And then I'll prioritize it, making sure that I don't always just go for the important, the um, urgent things, but I make sure I include some of the important things 
and then I try and put a due date uh, next to them. Um, and literally, like if you look at my my weekly plan, it it'll be allocated based on on days. Um, and there is another saying that piles are like weeds. If you let them grow, they take over everything. And it's the same with your to do list. That's cool. Is that sort of what time boxing is? Yeah, I had time. Or boxing is that something as, else? I had time boxing as separate. A separate thing. Okay, I'll let I'll let you talk about that. Sorry, I'm I'm, I'm jumping ahead. No, no. Um, I uh, these are these are connected. Um, but there are sort of there's a there's an A and B in this for me. Uh, I've got separate your task management system from your various inboxes, and separate projects from next actions. So I'll, I'll explain these briefly. Um, your email, your DMs, your text messages, your voicemails, they're all inboxes. That, that's where you've got stuff coming in at you. Uh, some of it's trash. Some of it needs to be saved so that it can be recalled at a later date. And some of it includes like action items, like stuff that you've got to do. And so it, it's really important uh, not to use... Uh, an inbox as a as a, a task management system, which means don't use email uh, to manage your action items, which I, I've seen people do. Um, your email is an inbox, and you need to separate. You need a separate system to catch all of the action items um, from your various inboxes. So treat email like an inbox, not a not a task management system. That would be sort of tip number one. And then um, this idea of separating projects from next action items. So some of the stuff that you need to do is really big uh, and it's, it requires kind of multiple smaller steps um, to complete. Um, and I, I would call these projects. So a project is a, is, a, is, a, is a big job to be done that has lots of small tasks that kind of umbrella under it. Um, other things that you've got to do are quite small. Um, it's kind of one task that you can knock over in one sitting. And if you've got a to-do list that sort of mixes bigger projects alongside smaller next actions, we're always going to choose the, the path of least resistance and end up prioritising smaller tasks because they feel easier to do in the moment and then ticking things off the list feels good, right? It feels like we're making mm. kind of progress in our day. But this approach means that the big projects, which are often uh, the more important pieces of work, they stall. Uh, we procrastinate on important work by doing smaller tasks. So uh, creating two lists uh, is, has been helpful for me, one for projects and one for next actions. And uh, I make sure that every project has a next action reflected on the next actions list. Uh, and that's the list that I work off uh, every day. So for example, a win the middle episode uh, on any given week is a project. Um, and the next actions that sit under it for me are 
confirm the topic with you, schedule the recording time, prep for a recording, record the episode, edit the episode, upload the episode, share the episode. Now, I can't do all of these things in one sitting. So I break the project down into these smaller steps over the course of the week. So like on Monday, when I look at my to-do list, all I have to do is confirm the topic with you. Uh, On Tuesday, all I have to do is schedule in a time with you to do the recording. On Wednesday or Thursday, all I have to do is a bit of prep. On Friday, all I have to do is this recording. On Saturday, all I have to do is edit it. On Sunday, all I have to do is upload it. On Monday, all I have to do is share it. So it doesn't feel overwhelming to get through because I've just got this little thing I need to do uh, on each day that kind of moves the project forward. Um, But if I looked at my list on Monday and I saw this week's Win the Middle episode, I would just keep pushing it to the next day because it feels too big to tackle in one go and so I delay starting it. Um, And so, yeah, the key is um, list all of those bigger projects and then make sure that your daily to-do list um, has, is full of smaller next action items that, that move those bigger pieces of work forward one small task at a time. That's beautiful. I love that. And that's how Mm. you um, stay productive rather than just always doing busy work. Like if you're clearing your inbox all the time, that's just going to be busy work. Cool. You mentioned time boxing before um, and so that I'll jump straight into to that. So there's five problems with just a static to-do list. One, it can feel overwhelming and you're, you're talking to that um, at the moment, like it can be too, feel too big. Um, secondly, you also mentioned that you, you're drawn to the simple tasks because it feels good to, to get them out of the way. Um, it inherently pushes important work down uh, the list. It lacks time frame and it lacks commitment. Just a static to-do list. Um, five pros of time boxing is, um, and that time boxing being that you allocate an amount of time in your calendar for a particular activity is um, one that you can visualize the right thing at the right time. Secondly, uh, it improves communication and collaboration. So, um, you know, shared calendar situations, people can see where you're working on certain things and um, you can quite, quite openly say, you know, I'm working on this particular thing. If we, if we need to, do something in place of it that opens up a prioritization um, conversation. It provides a record. So rather than, you know, you get to say in a work setting, your annual review, your appraisal, you can just go back through your calendar and you've got this beautiful record of all these things you are working on. Uh, Fourthly, it enhances um, control and your sense of autonomy. So that's, the number one driver of happiness um, in, a, in a work context is you feel really in control of your work. And then fifth, it improves production by allocating sensible amounts of time to it. So that whole process of going, here's the task, here's an amount of time that is sensible to achieve that and here's in my week where I'm actually going to do it and I focus on that thing alone when I get to it um, in, enhances your production, um, your control your sense of achievement. So that's time boxing. So good. Um, 
My, my next principle is kind of similar in the sense I've just called digitize it. Um, so this idea of digitizing your your task management system, so moving away from from like writing things on paper or in, in journals or, or like physically writing out a list. Um, I actually use an app called Things. It's an Apple app um, mm. and it's on my phone, my iPad, my computer, uh, and it, it and so it all syncs depending no matter what device I'm on. So a lot of the time I'll think of stuff to do when I'm in the car, and so I'll say, "Hey Siri, reminder," and she'll be like, "What do you want to be reminded about?" She's just come up now because I said a name, <laughs> um, and then I'll, I'll say the reminder, and then that will instantly sync into my things inbox. So. Um, I don't even need to pull out my phone when I'm driving. It's totally hands-free and I can just get things out of my head. They land in my things inbox. And then it's in my things inbox, not just on my phone, but on my computer and and all that sort of stuff. And the same thing is when I'm going through my emails, um, I can actually tag, like if I read an email with an action item on it, I can do a little keyboard shortcut and it saves the action item into my things inbox and has a, a a link to the the email file, so I just click on it to to bring up the the email in question when I get ready to sort of do that task. So um, I find that that level of like syncability is very uh, helpful. Um, and the other cool thing about things is the its architecture. So they've got areas of responsibility, projects, uh, to do items. Um, and I can assign tasks to today or schedule them for a different day in the week. Uh, and I can park things in like a someday folder. And I can also tag tasks, for example, as like important or urgent, that type of thing. So for me, um, I have just four areas of responsibility. I just use personal work, health and, and races. Um, and so in personal any projects um, around like the podcast, marriage, kids, home, money, friends, music, all that sort of stuff lives in that. Um, work is work, obviously. Um, in health, I've got stuff around training, nutrition, sort of self-awareness and the mental health side and, and gear. Um, and races uh, is, is sort of races. So just four areas of responsibility, but within those areas of responsibility, I have uh, a bunch of different projects. Um, so, for example, the the Western Sydney Half Ironman was a project that sat in races, and then under that, I had things like you know register for the event, um, do the the race plan, um, you know, like like you know those types of things. Uh, so, um, yeah, I just find that finding a system like that that allows like a, 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 an actual sort of designed product designed kind of task management system can be really useful. And I've been using things for eight years now and, and, and I love it. So um, I would, I would recommend it if someone's looking for, for, for something like that. Yeah. You've mentioned things to me before. I need to get a demo of it because I like the idea of it and I am not, digital meaning I, I i'm part sorry i should say i'm partly digital i have a process during my week where i actually write down the whole week like physically hand write the week and what i'm focused on and what google would look like um as a kind of this 
semi-creative planning and then it goes into my outlook in these time boxes but I actually like the process of handwriting it I still for me handwriting things is um yeah just one of the ways that kind of I process information but I love the idea of digitizing everything so I need to get a demo of things at some point well, it goes back to, remember when you were saying how in meetings you like to sort of slow things down and you take a bit of time to process what's going on around you? So maybe mm. you actually writing something down and taking the time to do that is actually part of your process based on your personality. So that, that, that could work really well for you. Um, uh, for me, it, it just getting it out of my head as quickly as possible and, and eliminating the the steps um, is is sort of my preference, so that's kind of why I've mm. I've fell in love with this with this system. Yeah, no, I'm keen to have a look at it. But you're right. I think for me, it, it's almost like it it builds a mental map as I'm mm. drawing it. Anyway, um, my next one is singular focus. So I spoke a little bit about like the time box with the time boxes. When you get to that, you focus on that thing. And um, task switching adds 25% time to the primary task. There's many different ways that we kind of do that task switch. You know, it could be your phone, it could be email, it could be someone walking up and interrupting you. These are all forms of task switching. So to maintain singular focus and be as efficient as possible, remove all the distractions and make the main thing the main thing. Um, and that could be the task you're on. It could be the person with you're, you're with or the meeting you're in. Just try and remove all the other distractions and have singular focus. You're going to be the most um, productive. So good. Focus. All right, my next one is this idea of separating out the components of task management and doing them at different times. Uh, so, for example, I have a time in the week that I collect and clear. And so this is basically getting all of my inboxes to zero. Uh, so transferring all of the action items, say from email into things, trashing mm. everything that's trash, archiving stuff that, that doesn't have uh, an action item for me to do, but it's still got information there that maybe I might need to recall later. So I'll archive it. So get it out of my email inbox uh, so that, you know, and I do this on Friday afternoons actually before the weekend. I just get my inbox to zero. Um, and uh, and, and that, that's, that's the only sort of task manage thing that I do on Fridays. Um, and so on Mondays, when I come into work, the next kind of component is process and organize. So this is where every task in my inbox should kind of belong to an area of responsibility and or a project. So I might have 35 things in my inbox, stuff that, that new things that I've got to do that week uh, across like all of my life. And then I'll basically just, yeah, assign them all of those things into different projects or into different areas of responsibility uh, and just and just kind of organise the information so it all kind of belongs in the right space. 
And then a different time, I do what's called a weekly review. Um, I normally do this on Tuesdays. And this is where I basically go through every project uh, and make sure that every project has a clear next action item assigned to it. Uh, and I use this time to kind of prioritize tasks for the week um, and sometimes like even assign certain days to, to, to do them. So if I did if I did collect and clear, process and organize and the weekly review all in one sitting, it it'd take me three quarters of a day. Like like it's it's it and it's a lot of different types of brain power that we're all kind of jamming up against each other. So again, they're they're all three important steps to sort of stay organized, but I just find separating them out and doing them at different times really works for me. Um, so clear the inbox before the weekend, um, some time Monday morning to 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 have all like process and organize all the tasks into their respective projects. And then there's another time, and this is a really important step, the weekly review, because our priorities change like week to week. Like the goal actually isn't getting through the work. That That is an infinite game. Like there is always going to be more work, um, more things to do, stuff that comes into the list. Uh, it kind of just keeps growing, right? And so the goal with this system is, one, A, make sure that I don't forget things, and B, just to make sure that I'm prioritizing the right things into my time and deprioritizing the less right things out of my time. And the weekly review is, is that, that, that moment in my week that I, that I do that sort of weekly prioritization. Uh, and that's kind of what works for me. Do you have collect uh, and organize sound very rewarding to me? Do you have one, uh, and 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 in contrast, I think I could probably spend more time in review. Do you have one of those processes that you enjoy more than the others? Yeah, I do. I enjoy the weekly review. I love doing the bird's eye view across the whole landscape and the act of prioritization. So deciding what's going to get the the best and the first of me uh, this week. Uh, and what what am I gonna sort of deprioritize as a result? That's the most enjoyable type of task management for me. That's interesting because, as you were saying, the collect and what was it? Collect and what was the phrase? Clear, collect and clear. Collect. That felt so satisfying to me. I was like, I just want to do that. Just get it to zero. That could not. Nothing could be more enjoyable. Collecting clear. Mm. Nah, okay. I, the, looking at the breadth and, and just seeing, because I think it sort of feels good too to know that I've caught everything, like it's all here. Everything that's being asked of me is all here. I can see it all. And so it does, I'm not stressed because I'm not mm. worried about forgetting something. It's all here. And I'm only got limited amount of time, so I can only do the the best that I can in the time that I have. And so it's just a prioritization conversation then with myself. You know, like what am I going to prioritize and what am I going to deprioritize as a result? Uh, and so that mm. that that is nice. It's a nice feeling. Yeah, the brain 
is not meant for having ideas. Uh, sorry, the brain is meant for having ideas, not holding them, as I wrote yeah. on my sheet of paper earlier. Yeah. Cool. Um, okay. <clears throat> What's your next one? Quick wins and eating frogs. So I, I, I like this one when your processes break down and when things just feel overwhelming. I like to bring this one out. Um, and so it's a, I think people are probably familiar with what a quick win is. They're probably familiar with the concept of eating a frog, which is finding the task you don't want to do, the hardest, most overwhelming one and, and doing it, but actually combining that into an hour. So you write everything you need to do on your list, which is your collect, um, and then you spend 15 minutes on quick wins because that's motivating and motivation runs on positivity and completing mm. things feels good. So you get you get a couple of quick wins and then you spend 35 minutes eating a frog, uh, which feels actually even better than a, a quick win is removing the task that you don't want to do. And then you give you t yourself 10 minutes to rest and reset and then you go again. Um, but yeah, you never try and brush over that last bit. It's an important part of the process. And um, mm. walking away from focus work is often when we have the creative breakthrough or as we've said before, creativity happens in the margins. That's when the big brain goes and does its work. So that's just kind of like an, a structure for an hour that can kind of work for, yeah, if, if, you, if you kind of your other processes break down. Yeah, I love that. I, I think about it, the difference between deep thinking and wide thinking, and, and you, can't, you can't do both at the same time. So focus is deep thinking, uh, but, but coming up with ideas is wide thinking. Uh, and so it's really important to give yourself uh, space to go deep, but then also uh, a different space to then go wide. Uh, that's how I've thought about that in the past. Mm. I had a similar thing to what you said, this whole idea of eating the frog. I heard someone use the phrase, your, your MIT, uh, what's your MIT for the day, which is your most important task. And the mm. idea is if I only got one thing done today, what does it need to be? And then you do that first. So... Um, on my to-do list every day, I'll asterisk my MIT. Uh, mm. I'll just put a little asterisk next to the, if I only did one thing, what's it got to be? And it's usually the thing that I'm avoiding the most. Uh, and then I try and do that first. Now, MIT doesn't sound like a super aspirational phrase. Um, so I have a, a different phrase that I've been using of late that's kind of a, a little more meaningful for me. And I've written it on a little post-it note and stuck it on my monitor and it's own the mountain. And so for me, um, my MIT is usually my mountain, you know, it's, it's, it's the big hard thing that I don't want to do. And so I, I look at my monitor in the morning at work and I see own the mountain and it's like, all right, not only are you gonna, am I going to take responsibility for this hard thing that's on my to-do list, but I'm going to conquer it. Yeah, cool. Can we come back to the leadership statement? Because um, we've both been tossing that around on um, message this week and I think it's a really nice way to maybe top and tail this conversation. 
I think that's a it's a perfect kind of way of kind of summarizing what we're talking here is that we've spent a lot of time on relational. We're very focused on productivity, and I think um, a leadership statement that combines purpose with impact recognizes that you need to have both of those things. And so um, I, I liked where you landed with with own the mountain and the way that you think about owning the mountain and what that means as a little bit of a compass for you in your, as a, as a leadership statement. Totally for me. Yeah. Own the mountain is about owning the problem and rising through challenge with awareness and grit. Hmm. And it's also about this idea because you encouraged me to, to, to have a little more we in it. Uh, Eagles fly at a certain altitude uh, and, if you um, if you if you see another bird, if, if if you're at high altitude and you see another bird, it's likely to be another eagle, right? Um, if you find yourself flying with pigeons, uh, you're either a pigeon yourself or you're flying too low. So own the mountain for me is also about surrounding myself with um, eagles, not pigeons. Um, and, and just making sure that the people that I have influence in my life, uh, are calling me higher, um, and, and are, are lifting me higher. And it's also even as a, a manager in, in terms of recruiting and all that sort of stuff is, um, making sure that I'm, that I'm choosing people who are eagles, um, and not pigeons, which sounds a bit harsh, but there are definitely pigeons out there. It's fine to be a pigeon. They can fly with the other pigeons. Um, it's just not who you want to fly with. That's fine. <laughs> yeah. So own the mountain. Own the mountain is this idea of yeah ownership, responsibility, um, um, rising through challenge. But it's also about um, altitude and surrounding myself with people who can fly at a similar altitude. Um, yeah. Hmm. Cool. I've got one more productivity kind of idea, which was called making versus managing. And the, the concept here is that when you look at your calendar, have you ever noticed that if you had four one-hour blocks that are free time? So you've got one-hour meeting, one-hour free, one-hour meeting, one-hour free, um, throughout the course of the, your day, that four hours of free time is nowhere near as valuable as if you could jam up all your meetings so you had four one-hour meetings and then a solid four-hour block to focus. Um, and so I think this is really important for people who are um, responsible for both managing and making. So they need to be doing the meetings and keeping things moving along for their teams, but they also need to be on the tools, making some things as well, um, taking control of your calendar so that you can get those blocks of time to do the deep work uh, is really important. Um, so, yeah, clustering your time so that you've got managing time and making time is a, is a good strategy for getting the, the deep work done when you need to be both manager and maker. Mm. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, it makes me think of a mentor of mine, professional mentor, a, a guy called Peter. 
he was the same guy that um, encouraged me around um, boat, uh, wind and destination. Um, he said to me, um, manage your focus, not your time. Mm. And um, or manage your energy. Sorry, manage your energy. I guess both both words uh, work. Manage your energy, not your time, or manage your focus, not your time. And I think um, I think what that has allowed me to do is um, realize that for me, quite early in the morning is the the best time of the day for me to do deep work, like deep focus work. Um, and even though my office hours don't start till nine, you know, like nine to five, right? Um, it's almost irrelevant. Uh, I just know that that I'm going to get, I'm going to give myself the best chance at doing certain things if I tackle them quite early in the morning. Um, and so depending on what my morning sort of training looks like, I find myself doing uh, a bit of work uh, like before the sun comes up quite early uh, just because it, 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 it's, it's me managing my managing my energy or managing my focus, not, mm. not my time. So yes, it's outside of my work day, but it, it's just, it's when I'm going to be the most focused and, and best positioned to do that sort of deep work. So I would just encourage people to think like maybe don't compartmentalize their life so much and go, I mean, yes, I, I, I get boundaries and, and wanting to protect certain spaces and, um, but there's also a strong argument around um, if, just think about when you feel like doing certain things and 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 make your day work for you. Yeah, and and some people are just super productive in the morning. I just was speaking to a mate of ours, James Martin, who is an elite triathlete, and I was like, "You've got a big job." And you're also a lead at what you do. Like, how do you find the time to train? Because he's 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 got a natural gift, but he works really hard with his natural gift. And he's like, well, I go to bed early-ish, but that means I can wake up early. And I've done two or three hours of training before most people have woken up. And then I have what I call the hour of power where I put on my Normatec boots, which are recovery boots for people um, not familiar with such things. And I just do an hour focused and it's the most productive hour of my whole day. And so by the time nine o'clock comes around where some people are just logging on, he's trained for two or three hours and done the most productive hour of his day. Mm. And so that's a guy, another guy who's elite in a couple of fields and one of his methods to just making his day work for him. Yeah, totally. And again, coming back, I don't, I don't, I don't want to harp on it, but I'm a big fan of going to bed early. Honestly, as a general rule, I don't think you can go past it. Yeah, I would almost say that when you think about how do I be the most productive. It actually starts the night before. Yeah. And yeah, you set yourself up for hour. a win. Mm. Set yourself up for a win. Totally. Yeah, cool. 
Anything um, else, Jeff? Any any final thoughts from you? Not on not on productivity, but I I navigated my way away from my my leadership statement. Uh, so maybe I should share that. Well, where I'm at with that, um, and uh, so what I've come up with so far is I've already shared my personal purpose statement on the potty, which is uh, to live a life of passion, kindness, and gratitude with my family and friends. And I was challenged to um, come up with a leadership statement. And I was like, oh, you know, I know certain things. Like I, I feel super privileged to be able to invest in people personally and professionally when they come to work. And I certainly want people to come through the, the front doors or long on each day and think I love being on this team. And I was tasked to, can you add in, um, impact to that? Uh, and that's where the HBR article came to it. And what I've come up with so far is um, to infinity and beyond. Hmm. And obviously that's Buzz Lightyear. But the more I think about it, the more I like it because Buzz is kind of nerdy and disciplined and, yeah, there's lots of things that I kind of relate to with Buzz as a as a character. Um you know, um, but I, I love that idea of um, helping people realize a potential that they can't see. So it's beyond infinity um, and or it could be beyond infinity as it relates to business results uh, or the like. So, yeah, that's what, I, that's what I'm coming up with at the moment as far as the leadership statement um, and something to help yeah, have a compass for me during the day to infinity and beyond. Is that where we're going? Is that how I'm treating people? Um, is that the combination of purpose and impact that I'm going for? Yeah, that was that's where I've landed. So it's Buzz Lightyear. I love that it captures your sense of adventure or your value uh, for adventure. Um, and I love that it's all about exploring uncharted potential in people and in opportunities. Uh, I think that's you to a T. Cool. Thanks, man. Any final thoughts from the, uh, the master's student? <laughs> I would just say like um, Tony Robbins talks about, you know, the science of achievement versus the art of fulfillment. Uh, and I think today has been a, a good conversation around the science of achievement, um, mm-hmm. aka task wake. Uh, but I think task I think we like yet yeah, this has got to be balanced with the art of fulfillment. We're, we're not going to find fulfillment in in being productive necessarily. like it's not it's only part of the picture. Um, how we make people feel, uh, the relational side of life um, is often where the art of fulfilment is found. And so, yes, we were very light on that today, uh, but on purpose um, because we've been quite heavy on that in previous episodes. So I just sort of want to say that, um, yeah, 
there are there are two there are two parts and and we focused on on one today uh, on purpose. And again, going back to my conversation with James, we were talking about some of the learnings he's had as a triathlete, and we were reflecting on the fact that you actually get stronger when you're recovering. So you do the work, but that actually breaks muscles down, mm. and then you you eat your protein and and you recover, and your muscles build back stronger than they were before. And so I wonder if our next episode needs to be about recovery. Rest. Yeah. Rest. Yeah. Let's do it. Cool. We hope today's conversation has provided you with some food for thought and a new perspective on how to make these middle years your best years. Remembering that midlife is not about crisis, it's about growth, transformation and embracing the strength that comes from experience. Win the middle.